Hello and welcome to the Investment Week podcast for November, where we will be talking about closed-ended funds, otherwise known as investment trusts. I'm your host, Jane Arana, and I'm an Asset Management Correspondent for Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. Earlier this month, we saw Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in the race to become the 45th President of the United States after one of history's most dramatic election campaigns. I'll be speaking to Kieran Drake from Winterflood about what President-elect Trump's victory means for investment companies. I will also be talking about the key themes for the investment company sector in 2017, having spoken to Simon Crinage from JP Morgan and Alex Denny from Fidelity. But first up, we have Darius McDermott, Managing Director at Fund Calibre, to tell us about the fund rating agency's exciting new venture into the investment trust universe. Thank you for joining us today, Darius. So Fund Calibre has been providing independent research and ratings for open-ended products since 2014. Why are you now looking at the closed-ended space? We think it's a natural extension. Uh, investment trusts are just closed-ended funds. They're very similar in lots of ways. And you know, Fund Calibre looks to identify managers with high level of alpha generation or high levels of skill. And you know it, it certainly reads across into investment trusts. So um, we think it's a natural extension of what we do. We also think there's a growing demand for ratings in, in the investment trust world. So why is there a need for this service? Well, post-RDR, investment trusts are very um, have become much more popular with the fund buyers. There's the, the several hundred percent increase on the pre- and post-RDR sales in the um, investment trust arena. Also, from a private client or direct-to-consumer um, point of view, many of them buy their investment trust via platforms and are further removed from the investment trust provider than historically they may have been. So, you know, helping to you know, bridge that information gap, a communication gap between uh, the investment trust community and, and some of their end buyers who, as I say, buy via platforms and end up on a nominee. Can you talk a bit about your ratings process? Yeah, our ratings process is, is, is quite simple. It has two-step process. The first is quant. Um, we have a, a quant uh, process called AlphaQuest, which measures alpha generation and volatility of that alpha. This actually comes up then with a um, score of pre- prediction of future alpha generation. Um, any fund or trust that has a 60% or more probability of future alpha generation can be considered for a rating. Uh, then we do the, the good old-fashioned due diligence, go and meet the fund managers, um, try and see if we can understand how they've produced that alpha generation and whether or not it's repeatable. And then only at the end of that process do we issue an elite rating from Fund Calibre to, to, to the very best of breed. So you talked about going out to meet these managers. What are, what are the key things you're looking for a trust to achieve? Yeah, I mean, again, this is similar for, for both fund and trust. Um, we look to see if a fund manager is, well, is able to articulate their philosophy and process. Um, you know, I've seen thousands of fund manager presentations, most of which can be deemed to look very similar. So it's a matter of actually talking to a manager, really digging under the skin of the sort of screens that they use, the valuations, is the philosophy that they outline then consistent with the stocks and sectors that, that, that they may hold. And, um, you know, our team at Fund Calibre are very experienced fund researchers. 
we will know lots of the managers very well, having met them a number of times over the years. Um, and you know, it's just a matter of really sort of, you know, getting under the skin of a philosophy and a process and seeing if we think the past alpha generation uh, and the probability of that, you know, is sound and, and likely to continue. And how many trusts will you be launching the service with? Um, so XVCTs, there are 400 trusts or thereabouts, uh, consistent with the way we've dealt with funds. We anticipate eventually rating around 10% of the, the investment trust market, which would probably lead us to around 40. Um, we are going to launch between 10 and 15. Uh, we, th- we think that's a, a good starting point, and we will then increase the, um, the coverage through to more specialised sectors like private equity or infrastructure investment trusts in 2017. So you mentioned RDR earlier, which was implemented almost four years ago now. How has that impacted the sector? Well, I think pre-RDR, investment trusts were partially overlooked because the majority didn't pay commission to advisors. Um, that's not to say that they were less popular, but there just was a greater focus on on commission-based products. Now, in the post-RDR world, where, where there is no commission, uh, it's all fee-generated, then that certainly has brought investment trusts into a much greater focus um, with advisors and fund buyers. And in many instances... You know, the, there are lots of good investment trusts, sometimes run by the same managers who run funds. And if you can buy um, a manager at a discount, then you know the investment trust can can be a more appropriate and um, vehicle for, for fund buyers. So going into the new year, what kind of issues do you think the trust sector might face in 2017? Well, I mean, again, I think the trust sector itself is no different than sort of the, the open-ended in respect of where we are post-Brexit, post-Trump. Um, investment trusts, obviously with the investment trust structure, uh, they do have issues of premium and discount management, which are sort of ongoing, um, and whether or not the, the, it's right for them to issue more shares or in fact buy back shares to control that discount premium. Um, but broadly, as I say, they've become much more um, popular post-RDR, and you know the investment trust sector is looking in a pretty good place at the moment. Finally, when can investors expect to start using the new service? Uh, we will definitely have it up and running in Q1 2017. Um, as I say, somewhere between 10 and 15 trusts at launch. We will then add trusts throughout 2017 as we continue our work in looking for excellent investment products. Brilliant. Well, we're all looking forward to it. Thank you for joining me today, Darius. Thank you, Jonah. Yes, we're looking forward to it too. Our second guest today is Kieran Drake, who is an analyst in the investment trust research team at Winterflood. So Kieran, how has the investment company universe been impacted so far by Trump's victory? So I think there, there are a number of sectors that have seen uh, an impact. Well, the universe as a whole has been sort of relatively unaffected um, in terms of uh, the discount of the whole sector hasn't changed that much. But um, looking at a, an individual sector level, we've seen trusts within the emerging market sectors and the Asia Pacific sectors they've their NAVs have been have been hit um, that's obviously surrounding the um, expected 
changes in, in uh, uh, global trade coming from the Trump election and he's obviously recently said that he intends to pull out. We've also seen uh, some negative movements in uh, European small cap trusts. Um, obviously the, the sort of uncertainty created uh, by Donald Trump's election has had an impact there but there's also other, other worries in Europe, uh, obviously Brexit being at the forefront for UK investors but there's also several upcoming elections uh, next year in Germany and France uh, and also a referendum in Italy at the start of December so that could be weighing on on sentiment there. On the more positive side we've seen movements in the healthcare uh, focused trusts and that's sort of linked to Hillary Clinton's comments on drug pricing um, and obviously um, it's a relief to that sector that uh, Donald Trump has, has won. We've also seen positive movements in the um, natural resources focused sector and that uh, that would be due to Donald Trump's talk of infrastructure spending uh, and there's also been movements in, in sort of commodity prices. So we've already seen the biotechnology and healthcare trust shoot to the top of performance tables since the result. Is this just a short-term relief rally or is there more to come? I think clearly the the sentiment was negative in the in the sector surrounding drug pricing. Managers that we speak to continue to see pressure on drug pricing, uh, obviously not as much as, as had Hillary Clinton been elected, but they are keen to focus on companies that have innovative drugs that can still command pricing. I think one thing that, that still hangs over the sector is Trump has talked about repealing Obamacare. He's perhaps softened slightly since, since his election and discussions with President Obama, but th there's still a bit of uncertainty and in, in how that could affect certain companies that, that had previously benefited from Obamacare. It's also potentially uh, negative for drug sale volumes, although that, that impact is, is relatively unknown at this stage. And what else do you expect going into 2017 as Trump's policies start to come to fruition? So I think as we go into 2017, volatility and uncertainty will probably remain until the policies are, are fleshed out. We've seen um, probably the biggest shift that we've seen is surrounding his, his indication that he'll be moving away from monetary policy to fiscal policy to, to try and boost growth. Um, and you've seen that within the US, the sort of rotation between sectors, so income-focused sectors such as utilities and real estate, consumer staples, sort of defensive sectors have, have, have come off, uh, whereas other sectors have rallied, such as materials uh, and financials, which, which benefit from the, the uptick or the expected uptick in, in uh, Federal Reserve rate. So I, I suppose in 2017, as the policies become clearer, those moves could be reinforced. Um, they could be accentuated, but I, I think the initial part of the year will be, um, will be defined by, by relative uncertainty and, and some volatility. So it looks like we're going to have another busy year ahead. Uh, thanks for coming in today, Kieran. For the final segment of this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about two key trends that some industry figures expect to see in the investment trust universe as we go into the new year. Even though there have been very few new issuances this year, it is safe to say that 2016 has definitely not been quiet for the sector. We've seen a lot of corporate action and structural change, Alliance Trust and Electra for example. There's also been a lot of pressure on fees. Simon Crinage, Head of Investment Trusts at JP Morgan, expects that to continue. 
He said, even though we've seen some developments in the recent FCA review, scrutiny on the subject won't just disappear. In the case of closed-ended funds, that's where the role of independent boards of directors comes in, and over the year we've seen a lot of fees being changed or scrapped altogether. Bailey Gifford, for example, adjusted the management fees on its Shin Nippon, Japan and Edinburgh Worldwide Trusts, as did Aberdeen on its Asian smaller companies and Asian trusts. A lot of closed-ended funds have been reviewing their charging structures and Crinage believes that's a definite trend that will continue next year. Something else that seems to have been under a lot of scrutiny lately is how well trusts are at managing their discounts. We've seen all kinds of discount control mechanisms being put into place, such as zero discount policies or share buybacks. But Alex Denny, Director of Investment Trust at Fidelity, thinks boards are looking to find new ways of controlling their discounts while protecting shareholder value and making sure the manager doesn't have to make frequent and unnecessary trades. One way of doing this is by paying dividends out of capital. Denny says this form of artificially engineering income, so to speak, will mean capital can be returned to shareholders without the penalty of the discount and stimulating demand for shares which should narrow the discount. He does warn, however, that this process shouldn't be taken lightly from boards because payments from capital rely on strong underlying asset growth. Otherwise, the trust could end up shrinking. What themes or trends do you think will take hold next year for the sector? We'd love to hear your comments as well as ideas for future podcasts or if there are any particular topics you'd like us to cover. You can contact me via email at jaina.rana at incisivemedia.com. Thanks for listening.